if you have a Bible, open it up to Romans chapter 13. And we are doing a special one-week uh, message. No sermon series here. This is just a special message that I felt led to do before we move into the conclusion of this election season. Who's going to be sad about that? Yeah, I said no one ever. But I want to tell you, if it's your first time here at this church, welcome. We really believe that nobody's too far from God to experience life change through Jesus that the church today should be a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. And wherever you're at spiritually, we're honored you took time out of your busy weekend to be with us. And this morning, if you're new to our church, you may not understand, I, we're not going to tell you who to vote for this morning. Uh, we don't see it as our role to give political um, advice. We want to advise you spiritually. And obviously, your faith may dictate your particular brand of politics in fact, this morning, you're going to start off thinking that this message is about politics, but it's actually not. It's about something much bigger, more important, and the umbrella issue of what we're going to discuss uh, this morning through this one-week message called Citizen of Heaven. And, and just looking at that, it's kind of ironic, right, because you have the American flag in the background, and then we're talking about being a citizen of heaven. What does it mean to be a good Christian citizen. That's at the heart of what we're going to discuss together. Now, I know that the sentiment in our country today is that many people are frustrated about government in general. I heard this this week. I thought this was great. There's a story about the White House needed a new fence, and so they brought in three contractors to bid out the project for a new fence. The first one was a great contractor from the great state of Indiana. And she came in and she measured everything and she went all around and figured out exactly what it would take. And she came and gave her quote and said, that's going to be $900. It'll be $400 for the materials, $400 for the labor, and $100 profit for me. The next contractor came in from Tennessee and he measured everything and looked around at the entire property. And after a lot of work came back and said, hey, it's going to be $700. That's $300 for the materials, $300 for the labor, and $100 profit for me. Then the third contractor came in from Washington, D.C. Didn't measure a thing, walked up to, right to the person in charge and said, that's going to be $2,700. $2,700? Why is that? He said, that's going to be $1,000 for me, $1,000 for you, and $700 to pay the guy from Tennessee to do it. And that, for me, kind of summarized the sentiment of how many people view government issues today, right? That in our culture, we've lost faith in many of those, those things. I, I want to tell you this morning, thank you to the civil servants in the room who serve through government in a variety of different ways. Thank you for your service to our country, to our city, to our state. Uh, I want to tell you that as a Christian this morning, we should talk about that sentiment within our culture, particularly in light of Romans chapter 13. And we're going to read these seven verses, and if you're like me, you're going to want to mark a few of the verses out, because the Lord must not have inspired those verses, because I don't really like those verses. Let's read it together here in uh, Romans chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Are you guys ready to study God's word together this morning? Oh, come on. Verse 1. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. 
The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. This is where it gets hard. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do bear the sword for no, do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servants, agents of wrath, to be, bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Ouch. Verse 5. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also the matter of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. It says a lot like the words of Jesus here. Give to everyone that you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Paul writes this to the church in Rome during a time where it was not commonplace to be Christian and could have been subjugated for their beliefs. This is real this morning. We bow your heads and pray with me? Jesus, uh, we pause as a church family and we want to ask you to speak to us through this passage. We acknowledge the presence of your Holy Spirit in this room. God, this morning that we would not just bring up the issue of politics, but we actually talk about something much, much bigger. What does it mean to say that you're in control? God, may you speak to our lives exactly where we are if we need to surrender things, help us to surrender. If we need to step out and do something different with our lives, that we would do that. We would respond to you, what you speak to us through Scripture. May my words get small and yours get big. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's family said. Amen. Amen. You may not know this, but I got a one-and-a-half-year-old son. His name is Jet. He is a ball of love and thunder. He loves to run around everywhere now, and he is a climber. He climbs up onto everything, and I mean everything. If you turn your back, he's on the kitchen counter. If you turn your back, he's on the kitchen table. Like, he's climbing onto everything. And he has this thing right now where he likes to eat all the time. Anybody identify with that? Well, when you're a one-and-a-half-year-old and you are hungry constantly, you not just want to eat, but you want to eat whenever you're ready and how you would like to eat it. And so my son, he can't really talk very well, and he'll say that he wants an apple, but he doesn't know how to pronounce it correctly, so he I want to pu right? I have to figure out and translate what in the world was that. And I said, oh, you want an apple? Yeah, I want a pup bubble. So I go over to the refrigerator, I pull an apple out, I cut a piece of apple for him and get it bite-sized so that he can chew it and swallow easily. I hand it to him. Any parents know what's about to happen next? He's like, no! He knows that word. No! He doesn't want that piece of apple. Something was wrong with the apple that I selected, and he does not like how I cut the yeah, I don't want, no, no. And then he does this. Some of you know this, you've seen this. Episode. He literally will like full on throw his body onto the floor and start screaming as if I just ruined his life forever. Don't want that pup up bubble. And so then he gets back up and he wants to go into the fridge, climb into the refrigerator, search around and find the apple, get it for himself, and then walk around the house wherever he chooses and eat it at his desire. Any adults identify with that? 
You see, he doesn't get as a dad that I'm trying to help keep him clean. We don't want to change your clothes for the fifth time today, right? Like he doesn't get some of the reasons that we are doing the things that we do. I want to use that as an analogy this morning. Drives my son nuts when he doesn't have control over which food he eats and which he doesn't and how he eats it and when he eats it and where he eats it. For many of us in our lives, and I can totally identify with this as an adult, the idea that we have a good heavenly father who is in complete control. And let's remember, this is about a lot more than politics this morning. That we have a good heavenly father who is in, completely, in complete control. The idea that he would dictate some things in my life, I don't like it. And I throw fits about it. And I say, why? And I say, no. And I say, I don't like that. You've been there with me? You see, in light of Romans chapter 13, if you're a Christian, did you catch what the last verse said? Verse 7, it said, give to everyone what you owe. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. In other words, if come November 8th, Hillary is elected president, or Donald is elected president, or Pedro is elected president, <laughs> that you were to honor and respect them as a good Christian citizen. Whew, I don't like that. Some of us innately, here's what will always happen whenever I mention that. People will go, now wait a second, wait a second, what about Hitler? Right? It's a good one. What about Hitler? I mean, there is a nation where the people in power are committing complete genocide for an entire people group. Look, the Bible certainly gives. I'm not a liberation theologian, where, which means that anytime there is any type of oppression that which is stand up and overthrow the government, I'm not that. I, I do believe that the good news of Jesus Christ provides freedom for, for people and that throughout history, Christians have stepped up during those types of extremism where real oppression is happening to change the society around them. A great example of that in World War II was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He was a pastor who spoke out against the government and against Hitler, and he did it at the cost of his own life. He would die in an internment camp after writing a number of Christian works that are still used today to talk about, uh, especially his book, Cost of Discipleship, what it means to truly follow Jesus and what kind of sacrifice it takes. God can use us to overcome oppressive things. Absolutely, absolutely. But when it's not in those cases of extreme, Romans 13 was written to the Christians in the city of Rome where sexism was prevalent, racism was prevalent, where there was pagan worship. You want to talk about loss of religious freedom lived 2,000 years ago. So when he's writing to these Christians and he's saying these things, it's not like they are uncontroversial. They are somewhat, and he's saying to honor and respect them. So why would God say through Paul to obey authorities? Why would he say that? I don't like it. Many of us today don't. Here's what I want to share with you. Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God. He's essentially saying the same thing that's in Romans 13 here, that we as Christians, there's a bigger picture, there is more at stake than just what is happening with earthly things. 
And so I want to give you three points, if you were a, a citizen of heaven this morning, three things that we should take away from Romans 13 and from the New Testament. And the first one is that you're not from here. My roommate in seminary, his name was Austin Eggers. He was from Boone, North Carolina. And he, used to, he drove an S10 pickup, and we were living, we were roommates in Southern California where we went to seminary. And he would get out on the freeway with like seven lanes of traffic going one direction, right? And he would drive like 50 miles an hour. And he'd be like, why are they driving so crazy? Don't they just leave me alone? And then innately, he'd get upset, and he'd start driving like a wild man. He'd be cutting people off in traffic, and he'd yell back, not from here. It's okay, not from here. And as he cut people off in traffic, then he'd do a nice southern wave as if that made everything okay. Not from here. The reality is the New Testament teaches that we're not really from here. I don't mean to say that you were from outer space or something. I mean to say that as a Christian today, your primary citizenship is actually in an eternal place. Paul says that later, he wrote Romans earlier than he wrote the, the letter to the Philippians. He says to the church in Philippi, where everything was going great, in chapter 3, verse 18, for as I have told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Like, there's no doubt in his culture and in our culture today, there are many people who do evil, that live as enemies to the cross of Christ. Certainly, that is true. There is darkness in this life. Verse 19, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Underline or circle, earthly things. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. So don't get distracted by all the earthly things. Right? Some of us have spent literally like 187 hours on social media posts that have to do with these political things. I'm not telling you not to have strong political views. I encourage you to. I hope your faith determines some of those views. But I want to tell you that your primary citizenship, according to the book to the Philippians in chapter 3, as well as in Romans 13, your primary citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly, eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our Savior. That's our Savior. Verse 21 who by the power that enables him to bring everything, what's that say? Under his control. I want to leave this up there for a moment. That it's actually under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Little side note about heaven. I'm going to talk at the end about how great it's going to be. We will have our heavenly bodies, our eternally perfected bodies. When I get to heaven, I'm going to be like six foot four. And my wife, when she sees me, I'm going to look like Josh Damal. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be amazing. We'll have your heavenly body. But we're not there yet, and we're not from here, and that we as Christians are called to be in the world, but not of the world. You heard that before? To be in the world, but not of the world. Why? Because it is by his power that enables him to bring everything under his control. As Christians, we do not get distracted by the earthly things. Our hope is not in a political party. And so for some of us, and I don't want to step on any toes this morning, have strong political views. That's great. I don't care if you want to post things on my social media. I will not get offended even. I won't. But I want to tell you this. As a Christian, we need to stop scaring the children and telling them the world is going to end based off of a political candidate. 
According to scripture, we should not get distracted by the earthly things. We should realize our citizenship is in heaven and the ultimate authorities we'll talk later on is found in Jesus Christ. There's a great book by uh, two theologians, Stanley Hauerwas and Will Willimon, called Resident Aliens. They have their 25th edition uh, out, uh, anniversary edition. This obviously is not talking that we are aliens. It's using uh, like outer space aliens, aliens like foreigners. There we, were, we were resident foreigners in a land that our eternal citizenship, according to Philippians 3, is in heaven. And that is where we should be most concerned about. Have our strong political views. I don't want to tell you, I'm not encouraging you to be a monk either, unless God calls you to that. But like asceticism, I believe we, again, we are in the world, but not of the world, living on mission for Jesus. But we do need to stop thinking that our, our vote alone is going to determine whether the world ends or not. Jesus Christ, Almighty God, determines whether the world is going to end or not. A lot of value in a vote. Go vote, please. I'm begging you. I'm going to do it. I hope you vote too. We get the freedom to do that, and that's incredible. But we really demean the authority of God when we don't understand what being a citizen of heaven really means. Our job is to be faithful and obedient to him. He decides our fate. Our citizenship is first there. Okay, we're preaching this morning, aren't we? Number two, if you are a citizen of heaven, some of us, many of us probably, we need to wake up. I have another son. He's seven years old. And getting him up on school day is like, like if I, I'm not going to hell, I'm going to heaven. But if I went to hell, I'm pretty sure that's what it would be like every day. Like you'd have to get a seven-year-old up for school every morning. And my wife, Lisa, and I, we always laugh on like Saturday when they don't have to get up for it. They get up at like 6 a.m. and they're like wide-eyed. Let's change the world. This is awesome. I'm alive. At 7 a.m. during the school, it's like I just asked him to do the most horrific thing. He goes, no, Dad, I need to sleep. I'm going to die if I don't get back to sleep. We don't want to wake up. I find that spiritually for many of us, we have seen, and we're going to see a couple of them this morning, people who have awoken from their spiritual slumber, woke up to the reality of God in their life and say, I, my primary citizenship is in heaven, and I'm going to live for that. Romans 13, 11 to 12 says, and do this. So Romans 13, we've skipped down a few verses. He gets to the end of this section and he says, and do this, understanding the present time, the hour has come for you to wake up from your slumber because our salvation is near now than when we first believed. Hey, friends, hear this. Like, you are closer to salvation eternally in heaven with God, heaven and earth coming together forever in perfect paradise. You're closer to that now than you were when you first walked in here. Paul writes to the church in Rome and says, the hour has already come for you to wake up from your slumber. Wake up because our salvation is near now than ever. Verse 12, the night is nearly over. There is darkness in this world, but the day is almost here. The sun is rising. Jesus will return. So let us put aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. That's why in our church today, you will find Christians who do not get paid to do things, who volunteer to literally sacrifice everything for God's cause. They take their time, their talents, their treasures. They say, God, use me. I want to see this short time I have now. I'm a citizen of heaven first. I've woken up to the reality of this, and I'm going to live this out in the world. That's why the Keystone Outpost this morning is collecting warm blankets for the homeless to give to food for souls to keep people warm throughout the winter. They're collecting them at the Connect Center this morning. The Zionsville Outpost, 
and please be praying for this outpost. I mentioned the e-newsletter this week. Um, I didn't say this at the first service, but uh, Robin and Vita Elder, who many of you know have been a big part of our story since we um, moved here, they found out their son, um, we've been asking for prayer for this, that their son um, has leukemia and he's three years old and he just started the treatment for it. That puts things in perspective, doesn't it? And that very outpost, while their leader is away in the hospital, is taking shoeboxes this morning, uh, Operation Christmas Child, so that you could fill one of those. They'll give you a list of items to put in it, and you can bring it back, and they will give it to a child in need of their only Christmas gift they'll probably get someplace around the world, and then a local church will use that to tell people about Jesus. It's awesome, through Samaritan's Purse. And if you're like, I don't really have time to go fill that up, for $25, you can sponsor one of these. Just go out to the Connect Center in between services. People are doing this because they've been waking up to the reality of God, and they want to live on mission to help those in need and to share their faith. Because they realize when you're a citizen of heaven, you get all eternity to celebrate and party and have an awesome time. It's amazing. You only get this time now to live on mission, to help those in need, and to share your faith. That's why tonight at 6 o'clock, the Mercy students is throwing a huge party right here in this building. And any junior high or high school students or any parents of that or anybody you have junior high, high school students in your neighborhood, we want to invite them out tonight. We do this because we've been awakened up to the reality of Jesus. The salvation is nearer now than it was when we walked in here, and we want to tell people about that. And so tonight there's going to be this, this whole building is going to be turned into like a Christian version of a scary house situation, right? We all tracking? They're going to come in here, and it's going to be nuts and crazy, and kids are going to get scared and scream, and we're going to laugh about it. But we're going to build relationships with students, and then we're going to use those relationships. We're going to tell them about the faith that we have found in Jesus Christ because it matters, because our primary citizenship is in heaven, and we want to tell people about that incredible place. Six o'clock tonight, it's why we do what we do. You see, I believe that the American church is waking up from its spiritual slumber. Our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is nearly over. The day is almost here. Statistics in our culture today demonstrate that church attendance as a whole is waning and going down across the country. We have seen the opposite here as other churches like us have seen because we have also seen that the growing level of commitment to the cause of Christ has grown and swelled as culture changes and we really have to figure out, do we believe these things or not? Do we really believe there is an eternal place in heaven? Do we really believe we're going to spend eternity with God there? And if we believe those things, it changes our life now. Our goal is to enact heaven here on earth. And our salvation is not found in a political party. It's found in, in Jesus Christ. And he is what drives everything within us. It's why uh, this morning I get to announce the Multiply Initiative. Uh, really passionate and excited about this. I'll be giving you all the details next Sunday. Um, but next week, we launch our end-of-year giving campaign. Every year, uh, any end-of-year gifts above and beyond our regular tithes, we give 100% of that away to make a missional impact somewhere. Last year, we gave away tens of thousands of dollars to Syrian refugees, to single moms in the Ukraine, to, to kids in Africa. And, and this year, we really want a local salvation effort to be given. And so the Multiply Initiative, we started the church planting network along with a couple of other churches called Multiply Indiana. You can check out the website at multiplyindiana.com. 
And we planted Hope City Church just a few weeks ago, right here in Carmel, down the road. And they're doing fantastic. They had 350 people at their opening week. They've been having about 200 people every single week. And they're reaching unchurched people. And you're like, whoa, why is it important they're reaching unchurched people? Because they're telling people about their citizenship in heaven and how incredible it's going to be and about what it's like to experience God in their lives now. We want to multiply not our kingdom, not build our empire, but build his to expand the kingdom of God throughout the area. So in next year, we will be planting at least two more churches through Multiply Indiana, and 100% of the end of your giving is going to go to the Multiply Initiative to give to Multiply Indiana to plant more churches in 2017. We just signed a church planter that was a teaching pastor and campus pastor at the largest church in Mississippi. He's from Indiana. He'll be moving here in March, and he and his wife will be planting Echo Church. And we're going to plant more than one. We're going to plant at least two next year. And so uh, we, our goal is to raise, get this $100,000. That's insane, isn't it? $100,000. That's double what we've ever raised in any of your giving. And our goal is to raise that and give it to plant more churches here in Indiana to expand the kingdom of God and see that in our lifetime we could witness the incredible experience of seeing God move and work. And we do that because we wake up from our spiritual slumber and we want people to experience the good news of Jesus. That said, I get the privilege this morning of baptizing the person we're going to watch in the video here. And uh, I interviewed him uh, a couple weeks ago. I've been meeting with Dave for a couple years. And it's uh, when he first came, I think he would have called himself uh, a Jewish background, maybe agnostic searching. And um, we're going to baptize him this morning as he professes faith in Jesus. But I sat down with him and interviewed him for about four and a half minutes of kind of his story. Uh, so this is all the time we had to show. There was a lot more, but let's watch this here together. Hey, Mercy Road, I'm sitting here with David Rothenberg, who's gonna be baptized today. And I wanted to share his story with you. David, could you share, like, how did you start coming to Mercy Road and what, what drew you here at first? Probably three or four years ago, uh, my girlfriend, Angela, decided to take me to a Protestant church service, right? Which was pretty awesome, because you guys have like a rock band, that great rock and roll from Aaron's band, Impelsu. Yeah. I noticed on Facebook he was gonna be showing up to a place called Mercy Road, and... Um, at the old building. Yeah, at the old building, and I was like, hey, let's go check this out. I had a lot of questions. I had questions, really, that other people couldn't answer. And it's interesting, when you and I started meeting, I. I knew sort of right off the bat from some things we talked about that one of two things was going to happen. Either I was going to end up um, going to Yeshiva and becoming an Orthodox Jew, mm -hmm. or I was going to end up Christian. One of those two things. I remember that conversation well, and I'd love for you to kind of describe that a little bit, because I think in that meeting was when um, I remember sharing with you that it wasn't my job to prove Christianity to you. It got to the point where I realized, and I think you agreed too, that you can only go so far with, with logical thinking and theology. At some point in time, that last leap, so to speak, is a leap of faith. I had a hearing up in Fort Wayne, which is where Angela's parents live. And I stopped by their house and I had a long talk with her dad. That really revealed some things to me, okay. right, about belief. Yeah. That was on a Friday. I come here on Sunday, and you give a sermon, which is exactly 
almost word for word the sermon that he gave. Like almost exactly word for word. It was just, wow. I just sat there and my mouth kind of dropped open like, wow, somebody's really trying to tell me a message, right? You and I then met on Tuesday, I remember, because we meet every once in a while to talk about things. Mm-hmm. And you had told me, why don't you just pray to God and ask? Just yeah. ask. Yeah, See, that's cool because that ties into what we were talking before, yeah. right? It's not Josh that's going to convince me that. It's not the guy knocking on the door. It's praying to God. It's God answering you. After you and I met, uh, I went to, and it's funny you mentioned it once in the sermon, I went to Dick's Sporting Goods. I pick something up, I get it, I come back to the, to the car, and I'm like, all right, you know, this is silly, but you know what? Here I am in the car alone, let's do it. Let me just ask God about Jesus and things like that. So, for some reason, at that very moment, the, the song that was playing at D- in Dick's when I was checking out, right? And that was a song called Praise You, which is by Bad Boy Slim, which doesn't necessarily have to do with God, but still the lyrics can Praise you know, lend yeah. itself. Which I think that. is cool because you always are, you know, you love music and it's kind of yeah. how God chose to speak to you. Dude, that just clicked in my mind right there. Yeah. And I just started crying. And I found that things like that have happened a lot, right? And, and the more I feel like that you're relying on God, the more those type of realizations happen. And when this all started, I said to somebody, you know, my life's not broken. I don't know why I need this. And the, their answer to me was, your life is broken. You just don't know it. Yeah. And now I sort of realize what they meant, yeah. right? Yeah. I was relying on myself. Yeah. And I didn't have a great fall or anything, but I was missing something pretty huge. And if you're just coming and sitting on Sunday, or whatever your exposure to God is, if you're just doing the minimum, then I think you're really missing out on something, right? Because with God, you have somebody who is never going to leave your side, no matter what you do. You know, you and I have talked about it before. Yeah. You can you can fall, um, and your friends can leave you. You know, you're, you're, something may happen where your loved ones and your family may pass away, and everybody leaves you, but God will always be there. Isn't that cool? I love how God works sometimes. You know, I was talking to Dave, and I didn't ask his permission to share this next part, but we're friends now, so it's cool. Um, and he was talking about how he was at the cemetery mourning the loss of his parents and how that is, I think, difficult for everyone who experiences that. And he was just praying and had all of a sudden this moment of tears of joy of understanding what it was like to, I think what he was implying, have a heavenly father that is right there with you all the time, and that you're never alone. And so the final thing, really quickly, I would like to make is that if you're a citizen of heaven, there is only one ultimate authority, one ultimate authority, and he's always with you, and he has a plan for your life, and he desires for you to know him, to be known by him. Romans 13 actually began in verse 1 with saying, for there is no authority except which that God has established, and if God established it, who's the ultimate authority? He is. And I think as Christians sometimes, we often demean the almighty God that we serve, the creator of the heavens and the earth that knit you together in your mother's womb, that created the universe and everything in it and the multiverse, and he understands everything that we don't. 
the God that created the world in six days and then rested for a day just to show off. The God that parted the Red Sea so Moses and all the Israelites could just walk across it. The God in Joshua 10 that made the sun stand still for the day to uh, enable them to finish the battle. The God that, with the birth of Jesus Christ, aligns the entire universe and the stars and the earth in just such a way so that there is this astronomical um, anomaly occurring where the star is shining bright in this one particular area just to celebrate the birth of his son. That's the all-powerful, almighty God that we serve. I think he can handle one government of one country at one particular time. I think he can also handle a lot more than just politics. You see, it's not just politics that often get us distracted of where our eternal salvation is. For maybe for you, it's that you've gotten distracted by searching for that husband or that wife. You've got distracted by uh, seeking out your next job promotion. You've got distracted by that next academic degree that you need to get. You've got distracted by which sports team your child is going to play on this afternoon. You've got distracted by all kinds of things. Giving up control and saying, you are God, I am not, it is not easy, it is hard. God has been teaching me personally a lot about giving up control. I didn't mean to share this this morning, but I did at the last service, I'll say it again. We haven't really told people this. My wife and I, are, we actually are selling our house right now, and we're going to live close by. Don't worry about that. And we're invested long-term in all God's going to do through Mercy Road and multiply Indiana. So many amazing ministry things happening right now. But it's like we had another plan, and yet we find ourselves in a situation where our house is selling on Wednesday, and we're not sure where we're going to go, what we're going to do. And it's, it's like, okay, God, like you're in control. How does uh, living with three children in a basement sound to everyone in the room? Does that sound fun? Like, we're going to experience it. Like, I know God has a plan. And if we can relinquish control, sometimes we can actually see him work. The earthly things that distract us in this lifetime, they kill the greater eternal things that could be occurring right within our midst. Stories like that happen not because of some great preacher or because somebody did something just perfectly in this. It happened because God is almighty and he is sovereign and he is real. And when people actually are confronted with him and encounter him, he automatically begins this process. It's a process of changing our lives to look more like him. And we begin to put on the armor of light and we step out of darkness. Our salvation is nearer now than it was before. When we think of heaven, too often we think it's going to be like in the clouds and we're going to have like harps and lyres and there's going to be weird looking babies flying around shooting arrows. And it's like... We miss out. No, it is eternally with God and perfect paradise, heaven and earth coming together, the new heaven and new earth, and we get to celebrate all eternity with him. The Bible says there is now no more tears in heaven. You've shed some in this lifetime. The Bible says that like those desires that you long for community and relationship, you will have perfect communion with people and with God. Every desire, you will be met And you get to celebrate with him for all of eternity. It's an incredible, the most incredible place we can't even fathom with our finite minds in this lifetime, right? But yet we act like a citizenship in heaven is like, oh yeah, that's okay, but I got a lot of things I got to do right now. No, it is the greatest thing in the world and you get to reorient your life to live for that instead of just this. This morning, if I could encourage you as your pastor 
that you remember that you're not from here, to wake up from your spiritual slumber and realize who the ultimate authority and your ultimate trust is eternally placed in. And I know that there are some people in the room again this morning that you have known that in your mind, but to really understand what that means for your life, you are just now coming to the realization that you could have a great story in this lifetime, that like those people that are sacrificing everything for God's work in this lifetime, their time, talents, and treasures are his, you could understand being a citizen of heaven reorients your life here and now, and I will not be distracted by all these earthly things and whether I need this or whether I need that or where I'm going to lay my head or whatever, because I only get this time to tell people about Jesus Christ and to help those in need and live out the twofold mission of God. And we serve an almighty God that is so great and so powerful and so wonderful. He can work you through all of those issues and all of those problems. He is sovereign over everything. If we would just give him a little bit of control, we might see him show up more often. Will you pray with me? God, I got to confess to you like a child who doesn't want to relinquish control. I find myself throwing tantrums all the time. And there are many of us in the room right now that we are afraid, we are honestly afraid to give up the control of our life to you. And so right now, God, as we get ready to worship the great God of what it's like to enact heaven on earth, to experience you in this life, to know that we are never alone. There are some of us in the room right now that we have heard from you and we need to respond to you. And so if you're here this morning and you would like to surrender your life to Jesus Christ fully, that you give him everything in your life and you say, use what life I've got left to further your kingdom cause. I want to build your kingdom and not my own. If that is you here right now, I want to invite you to pray this silently as I pray it out loud. God, I confess that I am not perfect. Forgive me for my wrongdoing. I believe in you. I believe in heaven. And so because of your work on your cross and your resurrection from the grave, I can know you And I can live with you eternally. And so, get this, pray this with me. I surrender everything in my life to you, Lord Jesus. Use me. I'm yours. We love you, Lord. We give you this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's family said, amen.